When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with, hmm, I bet you thought I was going to say Nick. I'm not. I'm here with Rob Bogan, Mr. Rob Bogan. How are you today? Hey, I am fantastic, man. Thank you so very much for the invite. I know uh, I know Nick usually holds it down, so I'm going to try my best to feel his enormous shoes. Now, before everybody starts getting on Nick, this is absolutely my fault that Nick's not here. His schedule, my schedule, as I've said before, sometimes can get all kinds of mixed up. And I spent the whole time that I could have been recording with Nick trying to figure out this field trip we've got for STEMnetics. We're taking a whole bunch of kids from the Flint area down to Ann Arbor to the University of Michigan. And I gotta tell you, I am not a party planner, and this is this takes effort. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. It's 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 complex. It is like uh, you know being the ringmaster of a circus. I would assume. Yeah, well, it, even during it, it's kind of like herding cats, but it's so much fun, and you get a lot of kids out of different areas who get to go see one of the largest and most successful universities uh, on the planet. Yes, and and it you know stokes the sense of wonderment and. I would imagine keeps kids particularly engaged with the idea of, you know, attending a university and, and getting after that higher education. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before everybody starts beating up on Nick, it's me. Send the wrath to me, not him, because it was my schedule debacle that caused it. But luckily, here at Realistic Sustainability, we got all kinds of friends. See, when Nick can't make it, I have top tier quality partners like Rob. USDA certified. <laughs> <laughs> well, think. and it just, it, it, well, and it, and it just kind of worked out because the topic that I had planned today, Nick was pretty concerned. He, he didn't feel like he was he had the knowledge to jump in, even though he, he gets that opportunity to play the, the novice in these things. He likes to have some background and you do have background in this topic. I have a lot from uh, a lot of different angles as well. There's, there's personal vested interest in this topic. Uh, I have experience across the board, actually working with within this, this realm, this ecosystem, I guess. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yep. So what is our topic? Our topic is large companies. I mean, the big ones, the big companies and their their unsustainable race to be sustainable. Is that a weird sentence? I don't think so. I, I think it, it fits perfectly well because, you know, it, it seems like now that a lot of a lot of companies are focusing on being green or being sustainable uh, it's the cool thing to do so everybody wants to do it now and not only does everybody want to do it but everybody wants to be the best at reducing their carbon footprint well it, it <laughs> and as a sustainability nerd i watch this stuff from the outside and it is a 
I think a mess is probably a good way to put it. It is embarrassing. Like it's fun. I laugh because I know what they should be doing. They have almost no idea in many cases. There are some that can do some things, but it is just insane the the amount of effort and level and embodied energy and everything that goes into a large company deciding that they're going to do less. Yeah, I mean their their hearts are always in the right places, but a lot of times, you know, is is kind of I guess wasted arrows, so to speak, because the message that they put out there so often doesn't match the actions, if that makes sense. Well, and before we go too far, I keep forgetting that we've been doing this show for years. So I talk about embodied energy a lot, but sometimes we get new listeners who jump in in the middle or jump in even at this episode. So I just want to remind everybody, embodied energy is the amount of energy or carbon footprint that goes into a product or a service or a process from the very idea that you want it through the absolute end of having it. You want a spoon, there's someone out there who's going to draw up a CAD drawing of your spoon. It's going to go through all these checks and balances and meetings, and then someone's going to decide we're going to produce it, and then they're going to go get contracts at different manufacturing companies, all of it, all of it, including the raw materials, all the way through to when you threw that spoon away, where it went and how much space it takes up for how long. So when I talk about embodied energy, It is all of it, all of the energy that is included in this item. So when we talk about these big businesses, think about that. Because the very first thing I think about is when a big business says, that's it, we're going sustainable, start a new department for sustainability. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that that in and of itself is, is kind of hilarious just because, as you just said, just that in and of itself, like starting a whole new team a whole new research group, a whole new department aimed at sustainability is just increasing what they use and increasing the amount of resources they go through like tenfold. It's they got to clear out an area or rent a separate real building. They well, we're going to need desks. We're going to need computers. We're going to need all the equipment for these people to do this job so they can figure out how to use less equipment. Yeah, and if if the you know if it's an on-site sort of job, then you have the employees themselves that are bringing in lunches or ordering takeout, and they're throwing their waste away, and they're driving to work. It's just it's crazy. <laughs> it's it's crazy when you really think about it. When you hear your explanation about embodied energy and and how much actual resources we go through, it is it is mind-boggling. And remember, even people's time count. So just the fact that they're going to build a whole new division, put that in all their software, give everybody new email addresses and, and, and just kind of create this environment so that this environment can later really try to go and eliminate things. Now, each company kind of does it different. And I'm not sure I found a, any company that does them all, that does all the things. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Standing back, you just start to giggle. The fact that the company has a website and a division and people who work for that group and all these things, you just want to go, you you want to send them an email going, hey, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, definitely don't write them a letter. (laughs) (laughs) Mail a letter, email it. Yeah, Um, email for sure. (laughs) But so I work in a corporate atmosphere. You work in a corporate atmosphere. One thing I've noticed is that every once in a while, a company can be good. 
Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons will always reap you at least the right result. You still get the good stuff, even though they did it for one reason or another that may not match yours. But like Walmart, for example, is one of the largest consumers of solar panels in the, in the United States and, and probably in the world. They are working on negating their energy costs. To them, the best way to catch up with Amazon is have no bills. And that's not a terrible idea. It subsidizes the solar power industry and it it creates electricity or converts electricity, not creates, and <laughs> it, it offsets those bills. So they're doing it for themselves. It's good for the rest of us. It's a good way to do it. But are they great with their with their employees? Do they use less paper? You ever got a receipt from Walmart? You could use it to to end a marathon with. <laughs> Yeah, that that's and you're right. It, having worked in 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 four large corporations practically my entire adult working life, there is so so many things that that can be changed. And I know Walmart in particular, it's they they match the perfect they match the description perfectly of what I was talking about earlier, where the the messaging kind of gets lost based on their actions themselves like they the heart is in the right place but so far like everything that they do at least optically on the consumer side of things is like the exact opposite of what it is they're trying to accomplish so we were approached by a cracker company a manufacturer of treats or crackers and i love the idea it was an attempt to create a zero embodied energy offset so we built the you know we we got these crackers with the least amount of energy and then we offset the rest of it with these credits okay Mm -hmm. but they created a whole new cracker whole new brand They, they, they carry 40 different things they made one that they can say they offset and how yeah how how does that how does that actually impact their resources at the end of the day because if you create a new brand and correct me if i'm wrong but there's new packaging that you have to come up with and create which means you're probably going through more man hours in your marketing department there's the shipping of of the new packaging and of the new product there is uh the the travel expenses because you're putting them most likely uh, you're sending them to different places because they're not just going to all the same big box retailers. If this is a a green or sustainable product, I know I'm doing air quotes all over the place, by the way, and <laughs> nobody can see them. Uh, <laughs> if it's a green or sustainable product, then you're probably sending it to marketplaces that have that sort of reputation. So doesn't it technically, it doubles what you would normally output by by creating this kind of specialized sort of product yeah not only that you're going to take up more space because you're not going to get rid of your old product you're going to have to warehouse more the shelving in which you sell at every supermarket in america has to uh, add an additional two feet to to put that product in there so that's more items in an area that has to be stocked more often or could go bad and be thrown out if it isn't purchased it's just when i look at something like that I appreciate the efforts. I do because that means they're acknowledging that the rest of us care, but they could take the original cracker and do it with that one. Their main product could be 
analyze. They could look at their whole process. Hey, we're getting our wheat in this way. If we get the same wheat from this way, it's slightly more, but now we've dropped the carbon footprint by 50%. And they can go through this process from beginning to end on the existing product and still maybe even make some changes on the box to let us all know what they've done. But at least, because here's another thing you're not thinking of. They, they made a whole new cracker. It's not the same crack. It's not the same flavors. It's not the same textures. It's not the same shape, which means it's a totally different production line. There's a new factory out there for that cracker. I would imagine they, they have to do that because, you know, if, if you're producing it in this way, this clean green way is what we'll call it. You can't really produce it on the same belts and in the same sort of assembly that you are producing the non-clean green items, right? Right. But in the meantime, now you have to offset a whole building, mm -hmm. a whole production line. All of the energy for that building during that production run is that crackers. So if you're just trying to offset the carbon footprint of the ingredients, you're actually way behind on the total. That makes sense. That's that's odd. Now I, I do I want to uh, just because I'm I'm curious now. The gears are spinning, and we're talking about separating the the, the clean green from non-clean green. Where where do you stand on uh, like the these fast food companies, a la Burger King, that are now mm -hmm. offering? <laughs> plant-based burgers and they aren't really separate like you know that that impossible whopper is sitting on the same grill that they just cooked a a very possible whopper on well okay so i assume you're talking about how do i feel about these kinds of products getting into fast food and being marketed as green yes okay because if you're saying vegan then it has to be cooked differently because it can't sit on top of uh, beef grease and still be called vegan <laughs> right or or even uh, vegetarian now first of all let's get one thing out of the way burger king was not trying to make a healthy sandwich they weren't they were trying to make a plant-based sandwich taste like a burger in order to do that you have just as many calories from that plant-based burger than you do your WAP. Wow. I think it's really only about 100 calories in difference. So it isn't a health thing. They just wanted to make it with something different. And they accomplished that. Now, on the green side of that, for me, I know people are going to still eat fast food. What I learned about it was, is you could change their food and they wouldn't know the difference. Hmm. Beef, beef is one of the highest carbon emitters on this planet behind transportation. So it's, it's actually agriculture, all of agriculture, but beef is a huge chunk of that. And now, now Jameson doesn't agree with me. And I know she listens to this show when she's driving home and she will post me up on this. So I'm going to go ahead and give the disclaimer. She disagrees with what I'm about to say. <laughs> I believe that the, the burger from impossible, the impossible Whopper is more burger like than the Whopper. Because you have this, the Whopper, they have spent years and years and years figuring out how to trim it, how to make it cheaper, how to degrade it just a little more, maybe a little more uh, fat in there. And they've continuously done that till it's on the edge of a burger. The flip side is the Impossible Burger or the Impossible Whopper. They worked really, really hard to make it like a burger. So they really wanted to make it taste like a hamburger. And I believe that it does more than the Whopper because you have a degraded beef product versus a ramped up plant product. 
and they seem to fit with almost in the same window. And what that tells me is, is that we could in this country um, switch to a plant-based meat system and very few people would even notice unless we told them. Interesting. Now on the side note, I will tell you that I accidentally, I was glad I did it, but I accidentally bought a bag of uh, meatless chicken nuggets. Okay. Daughter loved them. Stepson loved them. I did not. Mm. They just had a different taste to them, a different texture to them. It didn't, it didn't fit what I needed. So I'm curious to see how other fast food restaurants, especially like Kentucky Fried Chicken, who's coming out with meatless chicken, how that, how that pans out. Because what I got was not comparable. <laughs> you know, I actually tried the uh, the KFC meatless chicken, and it's pretty, it's pretty good. I I enjoyed them myself, but you you have to at least to me you kind of you have to eat them fresh because if you don't eat them fresh like right after they're cooked however they cook them uh and you try to warm them up the next day it's it's like eating i don't know like eating a handful of rubber bands almost oh jeez <laughs> okay it gets, it gets gross really fast well and it- Changing food habits is challenging. I've been trying to do it for a long time and it is, I'm catching myself getting better. I've tried myself changing all my food habits. And as we all know, I'm a big guy. I have always been a meat and potatoes guy. My family is steak after steak after steak, followed by a bag of Doritos. And, you know, as an edible landscape engineer, I really want to get better at that. And I've caught myself. Uh, when we go to restaurants, I choose the shrimp or one of my favorite places. And no, this is not a paid spot is Adiamo's in Fenton. I love that restaurant. Any reason to for my wife and I to go there or, you know, business entertainment, whatever. I love that place. And they have one of the best meatless meals I've ever had in my life there. Mm. So I'm getting better getting away from it. But but that's another thing is companies that do those because Burger King got a pop from that. They really did get a bunch of business. They got a lot of attention. Their name was everywhere. And that's probably why they did it. Not because they were trying to get away from beef. Now, there is a big cost in beef. And if they could find a way to get away from beef permanently, they'd be well ahead of everybody else in cost. But there's still some people out there that even if it tasted exactly like beef would tell you no. Yeah, and that that was that was my point for actually bringing them up in particular because it's it's messaging versus action, right? You think when you hear about at least me, I hear about a plant-based product, I'm like, okay, well, not only are they trying to be healthier, air quotes again there, but may, maybe they're going to do this a little more sustainable. But then you visit the restaurant and you get the burger and it's not like you know it's wrapped in recycled paper and printed with plant-based ink or or tossed in a recycled bag or anything like that it's like the same presentation as a regular whopper so do you think that there's a little bit of do you think they're being misleading by chance by marketing these products as being plant-based or clean green friendly when in actuality it's, it's just another item on the menu well and it's it, it's all marketing because if you look at the packaging and difference they're identical except for the print on the impossible whopper is green mm, true so you know so it it is 
just another item on their menu. It is not a a green product because it still goes through all the same production lines. All their buns are the same. All the ways the ways they get their vegetables, that building is still there. It's not a green product. It is another product on the on the menu that they want to show it's different. And that was the way they chose it. Right. And, and to be clear and to be fair, they haven't outright marketed the Impossible Whopper as a, you know, this eco-friendly burger or anything like that. But it is, it, I guess, can be a bit misleading because, again, when you hear those things, you hear those trigger words, plant-based, vegans and stuff like that, you automatically just assume like, oh, hey, they're trying to do the right thing. This must be different somehow. Whereas in that case, in the case of the Impossible Whopper in particular, it isn't really. So they're not using, you know, vegan friendly buns. They're not using vegan cheese. They're not using vegan mayo. Literally, the patty itself is cooked on the same griddle (laughs) as a Whopper. So they're, (laughs) they're even mixing the resources that way, too. So. That's that's another one of those messaging versus action sort of things that stand out. And just to kind of, I guess, transition back into the corporate side of things. Another one of, of my personal pet peeves is when you hear companies saying, hey, we're committing to going green and we want to make sure that we reduce plastic waste, you know, on, on our front. Apple, for example. We're going to reduce plastic waste by not putting the plastic charger in in your box anymore, which is going to make you go out or purchase one inside of the Apple store, a charging brick that is wrapped in plastic, (laughs) (laughs) that the brick itself is made with plastic. And it's, again, messaging versus action. How, how How do you feel about that? How does that strike you? Both of those are marketing ploys. So the Apple version that you're talking about, the burger version, these are these are the marketing ploys that they can use keywords to increase revenues. So let's go back to Burger King just for a second. They went through this whole huge thing on the Impossible Whopper. And if you say, tell me something green about Burger King, everybody in the world says, oh, they got a plant-based Whopper. Yes. They also quit using paper uh, forms for application. They went to all digital. That is an attempt to actually save money and reduce the paper consumption. They're no longer mailing these things all over the country. You know, it's easier to do it online. They get a larger database. That is an actual change that mattered. Right. Where where the Whopper, if you ask anybody, they're going to go, oh, that green Whopper. When you go to Apple, Apple offsets their energy cost. So they don't do it themselves. They pay carbon credits, if you will, so that whatever emissions that they can account for in an Apple product, they pay into clean energy. You know, wind, solar, all these companies to offset or produce the same amount of energy as they would have consumed. Now, is that being green? No, that's buying your way out of a problem. But it does subsidize those programs. It does pour money into solar and wind. It does help them get going. So (laughs) they can do something that does help. But in the meantime, they think that we're incapable of understanding what they're doing on the sales side. Does that make sense? It makes 100% sense. And that's, 
I think that's where everything kind of gets the water gets a little muddy there, right? Because in addition to a company like Apple uh, or, you know, Samsung, even the companies that go, hey, we're doing this to reduce our carbon emissions or Nike, one of my favorite sports <laughs> brands. Nike is like, hey, we're, we're moving to zero. We want to move to zero carbon emissions. And, you know, it, they start making sneakers or phones or whatever made out of recycled materials. But at the same front, you're still moving. In the case of Apple, just to pick on them really quick, you're still moving an insane amount of consumer products. And yes, maybe you don't include the plastic wrapper on the box, or maybe you shrink the box or, or whatever the case may be. But that product in and of itself, after it's reached its life cycle, how how do we recycle that? Well, I want to, you just said something that locked my brain up and I stayed on that and, and I need to address it. Just because a company is using 100% recycled material does not make it a sustainable process. Because Go on. <laughs> so what that does is uh, what they have done is they've reduced new waste. Okay. Now, in order to recycle something, you have to collect it, you have to process it, and you have to make a feedstock so that you can take that feedstock and make your product which is no different than you finding something processing it creating a feedstock and making your product the only thing that they did there is they took waste from somewhere else and then did the same process so the only thing they actually saved is what went in the ground mm. the embodied energy is roughly the same and quite often much higher a good example is when you recycle water bottles it takes a ton of energy you get very little out of it and you can't even make the same product you started with you, re you recycle water bottles you're doing it at a high cost and you're going to end up with fleece or indoor outdoor carpet you can't even make a water bottle but if you do it with aluminum it takes just a tiny fraction of the amount of energy to recycle aluminum as it does to process bauxite so it all depends on the item so I think it's Reebok that runs that is very proud of the fact that they're taking plastic from the ocean and making a shoe. Reebok and Nike both. Are they are they both okay? Yeah. I would, Nike, I, Nike uses recycled materials from their from their actual sneakers and t-shirts and things like that and they use uh they use it to create a material that they call grind. Uh, which is basically leftover rubber and recycled plastic and cotton from their T-shirts, things, the scraps, basically, that don't actually make it into the final cut of a product. They turn around and reuse that to make an entirely new product. Okay. And, and we all know why. Yes, the marketing is great. Yes, all these things that doesn't just get thrown in a dumpster, but any business owner, anybody who's ever worked in a plant knows if you can use a waste to create a product, you have saved some cost. Now, what I would challenge them to do is to continue their focus on finding materials that have a, either A, a breakdown rate of 10 years or so, or B, that could become a nutrient to another product when, it, when it's end of life, or C, better yet, if they can't make those changes, be responsible for the recycling. So when when you're done, you've worn your shoes, these things are done. You don't it's got a hole in the end of the foot. They're just done. You get a prepaid envelope that sends it back to Nike. 
or drop-off points in which they pick them up or whatever so that companies become responsible for the products that they create, which will really force them to want to make them either A, invincible, or B, recyclable. That makes sense. Now, how, in your mind, though, how realistic would it be for a company to implement a, a process like that? Is it I guess my real question is what's stopping companies from doing that more? Is it a, is it a bottom line thing? Is it a, a profit margin thing? Like it, it sounds like something that could actually work. Because it's because it does. California and most European countries have a, have rules that make the owner of a product responsible for its disposal. And it's usually with electronics. And I'll be honest, if you're in electronics, you probably want those materials back anyways. Now, that's a whole different show on how to design upgradable electronics, but there are places, there are countries, there are even in California where they're placing the like the producer responsible for the, for the recycling because it's no different than a soda bottle, which, by the way, in Michigan, we can take back a can of carbonated soda and re recycle it for 10 cents because we paid the 10 cents when we bought it. And by the way, that has nothing to do with recycling. It's actually a syntax on carbonated beverages because you can get a can of something that is not carbonated and it is not recyclable in their mind at all. <laughs> so just so everybody knows, it's not for recycling. It was a syntax in the hopes that you would never take the can back. But in California, they have that same kind of pricing when you buy a computer or a television. And when you return the electronic, when you're all done with it, you get that that money back. And I'm pretty sure, and I'm sure my brother will check me on the California side, but I have heard that they have that for certain products. Yeah, it, I noticed that too on, um, and this has nothing to do really on the recycling thing, but California really be, seems to be leaning head first into the whole product responsibility because a lot of um, like phone cases, a lot of the chargers, things like that will come with actual warnings like, hey, this product is made with something that has been known to cause cancer or, or whatever yep. the case may be. And I admire that in a way. Uh, you know, I, I wish that it was something that was done a little more widespread because uh, I'm a big consumer advocate myself and Things like that matter, and, and it's sad that it's only happening majorly, at least in, in one state right now, and I, I would like to see it happening more because I think there's there's a massive market out there for more truly a sustainable product. Well, just so you know, from a person who works at an industry that has to abide by emissions... And California has much more, much much stricter emission standards than any other state in the United States. Large automakers, if one state requires it, we do it. Oh wow! So it doesn't matter if Texas or Florida or New York or Michigan doesn't jump on board. As long as there's one in the country, we build to that standard. So every car produced by the manufacturer I work for is can be sold in California. And if it can be sold in California, it can be sold anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now here's here's a question for you too. I'm I'm the question guy. I, I, you, <laughs> you get the gears turning, and I'm like, okay. So realistically, see what I did there. Realistic sustainability. <laughs> realistically, do you think that California enacts these uh, standards and and these rules and these regulations because it's the right thing to do? Or 
do you think it is because of the sheer amount of people in California? I think it's a little bit of a mix. California likes to be considered progressive. And in order to be considered progressive, you have to continuously do progressive things. And California likes being the leader. And California can be the leader. It is very, very challenging for Alabama to be the leader. It's very challenging for Arkansas or Mississippi to be the national leader in anything that is technological. They just don't have the ability. Where California is the fifth largest GDP on the planet, which means there's only three other countries, because one of them is the United States, that has a stronger buying power than California. That's insane. So California can function independently financially because it is that large of an economy. And it, it does drive what the rest of this country does. So as we were talking about how these companies act, I want to, I want to do one thing here real quick before I switch gears. One of those things is we talk about that image or how companies take advantage of something that maybe isn't theirs to take advantage of, or they call it, they don't call it green. They let you assume it's green. Well, right now, a good example of that is right, you see a commercial about every six or seven minutes of Amazon bragging about how much they pay their employees. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the, we do at least $15, they get healthcare on day one, all these things. And, you know, you, I, I saw that for the first time and went, I'll oh, be darned. They, they jumped on board. <laughs> uh -huh. Yes. Uh, by the way, they jumped on board because their very first union was formed two weeks ago. Hey. So they're out there doing marketing on look at all the wonderful things we're doing for our employees because was it last year they were there was reports of people peeing in bottles because they couldn't yes. leave their space. Yep. So I know that when we talk about greenwashing, it's the exact same thing as that. What I'm trying to look at is we peel away the greenwashing, the marketing, the things that make our brains itch, and look at this like look at a couple of legs. How are they doing with their energy? Are they how do how do they reduce their waste? And the part that no one ever thinks of, the social aspect, how are they dealing with their employees and their customers? And then last, your ecosystem and surroundings. Not just the forest, but the cities and the people around them. Those are these major aspects. So when these companies like Google is a great example, they have did you know they've been carbon neutral since 2007? I did not know that. They're very proud of it. They are, quote unquote, energy carbon neutral since 2007. Very which, interesting. Which means all their data centers, all this, all and, and their high consumption. They have solar farms that they own. They have wind turbines that they own. They have hydrogen fuel stations that they use to offset. And, any, and whatever they can't reach... They buy out just like uh, Apple does. But how are they with their employees? Because I, I remember just recently, all these employees wanted to continue working from home. And they said, no, no, no. We've got these massive complexes. We have to use them. Mm -hmm. Is that just as sustainable as their energy policy? I would imagine not. I would. And it's because, you know, and that was that was kind of the big deal a couple of years ago. Right. Like people were obsessed with how nice it must be to work at Google and work on the Google campus. But as you know, COVID came through and taught a lot of companies is that maybe people would actually prefer working from home, you know, not having to make that commute. And yeah, you may have the sweetest office building with the best snacks and the best 
you know, personal chef in the world. But, you know, if, if you let somebody work from the comfort of their home, nine times out of 10, they're going to choose that. So now you have a building, you know, just kind of sitting there taking up space with mm-hmm. tons of resources in it that isn't being used. It, it is. I don't know how that I guess that's why it's so impressive to me that I don't know how they could be so carbon neutral because. They use a ton, a ton of resources. Mm -hmm. That's why they have to specify energy carbon neutral. Uh, Okay, see, that makes sense. And if you're a decision maker and you're listening to this show when it comes to a business, and I hope there are some, downsize. Don't bring everybody back to justify the waste. Eliminate the waste. See how many, okay, for a good example, where I work, they had dozens of buildings. Well, they're selling most of them. They're consolidating the must-haves in the house in this one little spot. They sell all the other buildings. They're greatly reducing their overall footprint that way. So you want to, if you want to be a, a company who is actively looking to reduce, reduce. Don't justify consumption. Reduce. Let the people work from home. There's going to be some that can't or don't want to. Then you shrink the office space. You either get, you know, sell and get a new building that don't build a new building, but, you know, find an (laughs) existing building or stay where you're at and lease space to someone else within the same building. And then you kind of consolidate in that way. Maybe it's a partner. Mm-hmm. Maybe you deal with a bunch of suppliers and you can lease space to all your suppliers so, so they can be right there at, at, at your beck and call or get access to you, whatever, but shrink. That is the real answer. You don't build full divisions to figure out how to use less. That's silly. And if you look online for rankings, I'll tell you right now, they're almost every one of them are flawed. Now, I like the plugin that I've been promoting for all these years, which is Ethic. And as they get more and more information, that plugin for the Google browser will be more and more useful. Okay. But what I found was, what I found was, is like Xerox was considered a top 10 sustainable company. Your primary product cannot be Inc. <laughs> and be a top 10 sustainable Sustain- company. Yeah. It can't. So what, whatever they're grading has nothing to do with their product. Or it's process. <laughs> so, you know, maybe they got LED lighting. I don't know. But it got them on the list and it made them look good. I saw things like all these different companies showing up. Google's on that list. Mm. And they always say energy neutral since 2007. But that's not the only category. Where are they at in waste? Can they shrink? How are they wor- working with their employees? Do their employees want to work there? You know, are they, are they sociably responsible? Yeah. Do you do you ever think that and you maybe already know the answer to this, but do you ever think that some of these companies might actually be intentionally padding their stats, so to speak? Like, hey, look at us. We're doing this, this, this and this. But by the way, don't look over here at the man behind the curtain where, you know, we're doing some other really, really non environment environmentally friendly things or things that aren't so sustainable or aren't so green, you know, like we're, we're, we want to show you this one thing that we're doing in an effort to cover up all the, you know, dozens of other terrible things that we're doing. It happens every single day. There's at least one commercial on somewhere in this country per day of an oil company going, Hey, we wash ducks. (laughs) 
Yeah, I I don't I dislike those commercials. <laughs> you also covered the ducks, right? You you see these commercials of we're becoming more sustainable. You know, we've quit using. You know, I'm making jokes, but we now print two sided on our printer, but they're a oil refinery, right? So what it is is just like every argument, probably since 2000, where it's situational. They, they change the scope to the one piece they're doing well and pretend like that scope represents their company. And that is not the reality. And that's what I fight with on all of this stuff. That's why it's that's why we see the comically weird. We're going sustainable. We bought all these new printers because mm-hmm. they use five percent less ink. A good example is consumers' energy. In order to get off of coal, we built a brand new full network for natural gas. (laughs) That that network, we built all new pipelines, all new pump stations, collection sites. Because if you burn propane and you burn natural gas, it burns more of that carbon emission and you get less of a total emission. All a true statement. Mm Mm-hmm except for they leak like a sieve and methane is seven times greater of a carbon of a greenhouse gas, seven to 10 times greater of a greenhouse gas than carbon. Wow. So not only do you get the production cost of that whole massive statewide network, because remember embodied energy. Yeah. But you also are going to leak more gas that is seven to 10 times greater. It stays in the atmosphere longer. It collects, collects more energy than what you already had going on. But so they, here, it, it's written on the side of their trucks. They're very proud of it. Oh, yeah, of course, because you, you have to be loud and proud about it. Now, another thing that just kind of came across my mind. What about clean energy? Like how sustainable can that be? Because you hear a lot. And I've, I never thought about it until I actually heard this argument presented to me. You know, what happens when a, a wind turbine or or something like that gets decommissioned? You know, where are the blades going? How mm-hmm. are how are they how are they taking care of that thing? Those things, and I like I hear that sometimes they just get buried somewhere, and it, it and a turbine is a giant plastic thing, right? So that that plastic, if it's getting buried, is just gonna sit somewhere forever. Yep, uh, fiberglass and carbon uh, fiber. So a carbon fiber, fiberglass blade. So I like these conversations because it's very, very similar to political conversations. When you say, hey, you just clubbed that seal. And they say, wait, 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 wait. But the guy I don't like, he clubbed two seals. Okay, none of those are good. So what you have with an old industry is the we are currently at the best it will be. It's had 100 years plus to get good. This is the most efficient, the least amount of workers with the most amount of profit. That's where we're at in the oil industry today. And when you say clean energy, it it really does limit to which ones we're talking about. There's not a lot of quote unquote clean energy or green energy or or renewables. These all mean something different. So when you say clean energy, you're talking about things that are usually changing kinetics into usable energy. And wind turbines would fit under that. Now, remember when they say, well, but they they bury the wind turbine. First of all, the life cycle of a wind turbine is about 25 to 35 years. They can be upgraded in many cases and run another 10, 15 years, as long as they're maintained properly, which is a significant amount of time. And they, they lose very little efficiency in that time. Now, 
They make it sound like they chop it down like a tree. It falls into a hole and they bury it. Now, remember, the bulk of what you see on a wind turbine is the tower and the housings. Those are all steel, iron, copper. Those all get recycled. The only thing that they ever show you in the photos is the blades, because that's the only thing that is a considered waste. Now, it's also a quote a reasonably new industry. It's now an effective industry. Remember, solar has been around for a long time. It just was useless. Once it okay. becomes effective, then you have to start the clock on it. That's when technology works on it. So now that you're getting wind turbines put all over the world, there's companies out there learning how to recycle them, learning how to reuse them for certain things. I saw one that was used over top of a parking structure as their shade. You know, so yes, currently those fiberglass carbon fiber blades are being buried, but it is not the bulk of it. Most of it is being recycled and they're actively looking for ways to use that material going forward. So the worst possible moment of a wind turbine is thousands times greater in success than the amount of coking or coke that is in a coal fire plant that they scoop out every day and bury into the ground every single day. They take all this nasty carbon out of the out of the fire pits, flush it with a ton of water and send it off to be to, into settling pools just to do it again tomorrow. Saying you bury wind turbines says bad you don't look over here. So it, that's that's how I look at those things because they're not apples and oranges. And even if you made them apples and oranges, the scale's not even helping the person with the argument. Got it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now I wonder to bring it back to the to the to the topic at hand here, why there aren't more companies that are focusing on dismantling the idea of companies that are sustainable like hey you know you say you're doing this but we're doing this in xyz like proving their actual sustainability practice like saying hey we're doing this and it's working why can't you do it because there are there are companies that do practice you know more sustainable production habits and, and more sustainable employee lifestyle habits and and are just sustainable all around, but they don't seem to get as much press as some of the others. Why Why do you think that is? I think that in many cases they do. And I can say that through the automotive industry. Toyota came up with a new way of doing business. It was still manufacturing. There were still emissions. But what they were doing was taking the waste out of everything. They cut the waste without cutting the job. They put value in the people, and they changed the whole auto industry. Every process that every plant that is successful in this world follows at least some, if not all, of the Six Sigma or, or lean technologies learned from Toyota. There are a lot of those things. There's companies like Costco, who is just as competitive and, and strong as the Sam's Clubs of the world, who do business in a different way. Is it sustainable? No, not by not by a long shot because you're a big box store. But they're competing by using sustainability, reducing energy costs. They got the lights that turn off until you walk up to them. They're using less cardboard. They're using less paper. You know, they're doing things like that to stay competitive. There's lots of those out there. And honestly, they 
just kind of fall into the chorus of voices of everybody yelling, look at me, look at me, we're sustainable. You know, the Coca-Colas of the world, the Chevrolets, all these different companies jumping up and down going, look what we did, look what we did. The people who actually did it can't be heard. The Patagonias of the world, the Toms of the world, they get seen here and there, but they just get labeled hippie brands and move on. Right. You know, so what's going to happen is, is it's going to be expensive because right now leadership in business, they want the marketing aspect. That's why we see the things we see and the joke from our, from our very beginning of this show going, it's laughable. They're doing it for the optics. Let's optics. And if you can save me money, you find this department is really a cost savings department for them because the people who run these large companies don't really want change because they're successful. They are the top tier. They are successful. They are the most important CEOs in the world. Why would they want to change anything? I've heard CEOs talking in conferences or at the, the World Economics Forum. Yes, these changes need to happen. They can basically happen after I retire. They do not want to make a mistake, cost the stockholders money, and then leave disgraced. They can ride this out and make millions. That And that should be... It, that sounds sinful, <laughs> just like the mere thought of that, like knowing that somebody could be in a position to actually be better and do better, but they choose not to because they don't want to be the guy that, you know, takes the risk and in, in maybe just maybe throws the company off a little bit. I do. I have one more question if, if we have time for well, it. Just real quick, just so you know, I know it seems sinful, but remember. On average, around 20% of CEOs are psychopaths, by definition. (laughs) And that study was done in 2010. Feel free to Google it. I I have to now. (laughs) I I 100% have to. Um, So what's your question? I want to know this. Do you think that we will ever reach a point in time or a point in society where it's not necessarily a popularity contest in companies saying, hey, we're green, hey, we're sustainable, just because of image. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where companies stop doing it because of the image and because of the optics and start moving towards sustainable production and being an actual sustainable company because it's the right thing to do? I don't think companies will do it because it's the right thing to do because they need infinite growth until our system changes. It's impossible to achieve infinite growth and longevity together and do anything with a moral compass. It's easy in the beginning, maybe the first 10 years, but you start to become, that's why the you know, the seers of the world's never They always fall off these, these large companies There's very few with longevity like Microsoft. But they were also a very unique product with very little competition. It is almost impossible. So I was with you up until the part where you said that they did it basically because of their conscience. They'll never do it because of their conscience. They'll do it either from the pressure from the rest of us pushing on the bruise, only buying the products that fit the criteria in which we want them, or they fall behind in the market and they and they use sustainability to reduce their costs. Because I don't care what anybody says, sustainability saves you money. It is not expensive. It's expensive when you listen to greenwashing. If you run a business 
sustainably, you are constantly cutting cost. You're cutting the amount of resources you're putting out. And I think that some companies will be forced to do it as resources become scarce, as competition becomes fierce. The ones that learn to function in a sustainable environment will be leaps and bounds ahead of these companies who pretend. Well said. Well said. <laughs> so, I agree. So just to get us to a close, because I know I, I do this, I'll get going and I'll get going forever. So well that's that's part of that's part of my role whenever and I will continue <laughs> to. I, I like to throw those questions out there to poke the bear, so to speak. So <laughs> absolutely. If if anybody out here is a decision maker or you work with decision makers or your spouse is a decision maker, I hope that I get the point across that building if you want to be sustainable you have to use sustainable thinking you have to use the same things we've talked about over the last two and a half years these little pieces these little restructures these little reductions that's how you become sustainable not building a new department who's going to learn all about sustainability and quiz the employees on how many pencils they take this isn't functional at all this is this is actually a drain on your overall resources. Go smaller. I know companies that are big and flashy and fancy. Here's the deal. Malls died for that reason. Big box stores are starting to fall in the same direction. The cost of energy, the cost of materials, the cost of transportation isn't going to go down. We use too much as it is. We have to continue to work to reduce the amount of materials, the amount of energy, and shrink that cost if you're going to be effective and you're going to be competitive. If you do it now, you get to be a leader. If you do it later, you get to survive. With that being said, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with a friend or on social media. There's other ways to support realistic sustainability by like you can become a monthly sustainer on our anchor hosting site or just by visiting greetingyourlife.org forward slash podcast or better yet just leave a five-star review leave a comment click a like click a follow all of those help us out tremendously and remember we only get together each week to get a little bit better little bit little bit big bit and i personally would like to thank rob for filling in with nick today and helping us out thank you so much i love doing this every single time we do this Thank you. I uh, Once again, I tremendously appreciate the opportunity. I will uh, continue to keep the books open, so to speak, so I can guess on these things. I like showing up because I actually I do learn a lot each and every time. So I'll, I'll never say no if the invite's out there. Well, I really appreciate you coming in and bringing your unique point of view. And I know every time you and I get into something, it turns into a Q&A, but I think it, I think it, told everybody the story we were trying to show absolutely so thanks again everyone for listening i'm mike i'm rob and we will see you next week well at least i will Feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? That Ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. 
Learn more at ethic.org, E-T-H-Y-K.org.